From the invention of the player piano to the creation of the smartphone, copyright and technology have played a seemingly endless game of capture the flag. The upcoming Copyright and Technology Conference in New York on Tuesday, September 13th, plants both those flags firmly at Fordham University School of Law. Welcome to Copyright Clearance Center's podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Velocity of Content. Bill Rosenblatt is the program chair and co-producer for the 2022 Copyright and Technology Conference. He is founder of Giant Steps Media Technology Strategies, a management consultancy focused on the content industries, an adjunct professor in the Music and Performing Arts Professions Department at New York University, and a trustee of the Copyright Society of the USA. He joins me from New York City with a preview. Welcome, Bill Rosenblatt. Great to be here. Thanks a lot, Chris. Well, we are looking forward to the program. This year, 2022 for Copyright and Technology marks a return to in-person programming. Are you excited to welcome back the copyright community of lawyers, publishers, and musicians back to Fordham University School of Law? Oh, you cannot believe how excited I am. It's been too long. Uh, The Copyright Society had its first in-person annual meeting since the before times back in June, and it was just so wonderful to see everybody. Um, it's, It's going to be great. We're actually going to be hybrid. There will be options to attend by streaming, but uh, we are really focused on the in-person aspect of the conference. Well, well, I'm looking forward to being there in person, Bill Rosenblatt. uh, I'll moderate an examination of inclusive access, also known as equitable access. It's a new model for distributing text materials for college students, and we'll be looking at a variety of aspects of copyright and technology. In separate discussions, you've got panelists who are going to wrestle with the ways that those two issues continue to play tag, as they have for decades. Thank you for your service, the future of the server test, and standard fare, standard technical measures in the DMCA and beyond, will examine the relevance of current and future copyright obligations. So so tell us, what's at stake in those two discussions for the affected parties? The server test is something that came out of a uh, a court case called Perfect 10 versus Amazon 15 years ago, I think it was. And the idea is that if you host an image or other piece of content on a website, then you could be liable for copyright infringement of that image if, if it's an infringing image. But if you only link to it, even if you're showing a page where the image appears on the page, but you're just linking to somebody else hosting it, then you're not liable. And that was called the server test. And that's been sort of second-guessed quite a bit recently in various court decisions, such as Goldman versus Breitbart. There's a whole bunch of them that have come up. And there are some people who feel that this server test is um, in jeopardy as a legal precedent. And so there's a lot of People who host websites or companies that host websites that will need to look at what they do more carefully if that gets overturned. Is it owing to the fact the world's changed a great deal? Certainly the world of the Internet has changed in the 15 years since that decision? Definitely. And the the biggest difference, I would say, I mean, there are a lot of differences, but the one that I would point to specifically is cloud storage uh, providers such as Dropbox and Google Drive, OneDrive, iCloud, all these cloud storage providers, Amazon Web Services. And so if you operate a website and you link to or host photos, it's really unclear where exactly that storage is and who controls it. It's much more of a gray area 
than it was 15 years ago when companies tended to operate their own servers and it was much more clear cut. It's really of great concern to entities that host websites and the owners of copyrights and visual artworks. And standard technical measures. Well, that sounds, if you will, technical, Bill Rosenblatt. Tell us what those are and what the relationship is with the Smart Copyright Act. Sure. So that phrase, standard technical measures, refers to a heretofore obscure section of the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, 512I, for those keeping score at home, which says something like this. It says that an online service can be can avoid liability for the copyright infringements committed by its subscribers or members if, among other things, it accommodates and does not interfere with standard technical measures that identify uh, content that may be infringing. And so you have technologies out there that identify content, such as acoustic fingerprinting and image recognition and so on, and they're used to flag uh, allegedly copyrighted works online, wherever they may be found. And those technologies are used pretty commonly to uh, aid in the enforcement of copyrights. The thing is that this law has been on the books for decades now, and no one has really figured out what exactly that provision of it means or what is a standard technical measure as it's defined in that statute. And basically the statute says, A standard technical measure has to be something that's arrived at by consensus of all the stakeholders. And there was something similar in European law. There needs to be stakeholder dialogue over the measures that online service providers have to take to identify copyrighted works and figure out whether they're licensed or not. But the problem is that none of these consensus building activities have really happened. And so that has led to this draft legislation called the SMART Act, which is co-sponsored by Senator Tillis from North Carolina and Senator Leahy from Vermont, which basically says that the Copyright Office would be empowered to designate technologies that are, you know, designated as standard technical measures using a process that's called a rulemaking. So every X number of years, I think it's every three years, they'll get input from parties who are concerned with this, and they'll come out with a determination that says, here are the standard technical measures that we're going to designate. And so online service providers have to not interfere with, and so forth, these standard technical measures. So that's what the SMART Act is, and it's quite a controversial thing. Bill Rosenblatt, a professional and a personal interest of yours is the intersection of copyright and music. Uh, You're indeed a a co-author of the forthcoming book, Key Changes, the 10 Times Technology disrupted the music industry. That'll be out from Oxford University Press. So, so it's a highlight, I think, of the program in September that you've got a keynote from Chris Arendt, who is the chief executive officer of the Mechanical Licensing Collective. I'm sure a lot of people aren't familiar with that. Tell us what the Mechanical Licensing Collective is and, and what you expect Chris to say. Sure. So first of all, the Mechanical Licensing Collective, or the MLC, was a result of some legislation that passed in 2018 called the Music Modernization Act. And that's something that we've talked about a fair bit at my conference. It's a a piece of legislation that updates copyright law to deal with streaming music, mainly streaming music in many ways that were sort of badly needed and much anticipated. And essentially, without going into a 
lengthy explanation of the mechanics of royalty payments on streaming music. There are data problems in the streaming music field that uh, result in particularly songwriters and music publishers not getting properly compensated because streaming services don't know with certainty who the rights holders are and how much ownership percentage they have and things like that. And so until this act was passed, the onus was on all the streaming music providers, Spotify, Amazon, Google, you know, Deezer, Tidal, etc., to figure all that stuff out on their own and risk getting sued if they make a mistake, which in, in fact, they, there have been many lawsuits over this. So now with the Music Modernization Act, a central data hub for music rights ownership, specifically music composition rights ownership, has been established. And that's what the MLC is. It's an entity that was designated by the U.S. Copyright Office and that needs to be up for redesignation every five years. And its job is to take data on playouts from all the streaming services, figure out whom to pay, and then pay those royalties. It collects rights ownership information from music publishers and songwriters so that it knows whom to pay and how much and so forth. It collects the streaming data from the service providers and the service providers all pay a fee into that uh, entity, which then gets dispersed in the form of royalty payments. So it's this big, hairy database of musical composition and music publishing rights ownership information that was built during a global pandemic and was done on time. They got it up and running pretty much when they were supposed to have gotten it up and running under an incredibly, even in a non-pandemic situation, it would have been an aggressive schedule, but they got it up and running. And Chris Arend is the CEO. He comes from Warner Music Group. He's got a very rich background in this field, Warner Music Group, among other places. They've been paying out lots of money to rights holders. They've been operating this thing. They have been on a sort of information gathering campaign to try and get music composition rights holders to give them good and current data about all this stuff. And it's really the intent of having Chris keynote the conference is to kind of show everyone how this is working and discuss how it could apply to other type of rights administration scenarios. So Chris, you work for Copyright Clearance Center, which is one of the world's foremost rights administration organizations with a lot of lessons to teach everyone in this field. This is another example of a big lesson or object lesson that can be learned on how to do rights administration in an online connected world at a large scale. There are a lot of opportunities to apply what the MLC has done and the lessons that they've learned elsewhere. And that's what I hope to elicit from Chris's keynote at the conference. Well, the world needs to hear some really, you know, positive stories about how copyright and technology can work together. Isn't that true? Uh, yes, it is. And the, in fact, it's funny, when I was reviewing some things for this uh, podcast, I was looking at the UK Parliament uh, study on music streaming that was done a couple years ago. And one of the commentators about that cited what the MLC has done in the United States as an exemplar uh, to follow in certain respects with regard to the UK situation. Well, what else is in that study that's worth sharing with us is, uh, as you point out, uh, the UK Parliament study looked at uh, the various music streaming economics, the, the various aspects of music streaming economics, and you'll be looking at that at Copyright and Technology. 
tell us a little bit more about the conclusions and how any of them might apply in the United States. Basically, the UK Parliament did a study on streaming music with the objective of making some recommendations for changes in various practices and laws. And um, one of our speakers is going to be Will Page, who is the former chief economist at Spotify. And before that, he was the chief economist at PRS for Music, which is the UK's equivalent of ASCAP, BMI, and so forth. Uh, And he referred to the report that was issued as a result of the study as, quote, all killer, no filler, unquote, which is a, a quote that's well known to music industry people. It's when you have an album that's got all great songs and no filler. There are a lot of hard hitting recommendations in this report. And the whole idea of this panel is to talk about the lessons from that report and how they could or could not in some cases apply here in the United States. So for example, one of the main takeaways is there is a split of royalties from streaming between the record labels and in turn recording artists on the one side, which is the sound recording side and the songwriters and music publishers on the other side. So that those are two separate copyright holders for each song that gets streamed. The recording artists, record labels on one side, the songwriters and music publishers on the other side. And right now there is a split of royalties between those two types of entities that's very, very heavily weighted towards the record label and recording artist side by a factor of more than three to one. And one of the recommendations they make is for the industry to figure out ways to even that balance a little bit, um, even though... Currently, the industry situation is such that the music publishing, the major music publishing entities are owned by major record labels. So they they have to answer to their corporate parents when it comes to figuring out where those pieces of money go. So that's one interesting takeaway. I think the lesson that the MLC teaches in this context is that if you sort of pick a specific application and not try to boil the ocean. And in this case, the application is streaming music, mechanical royalties for musical compositions. You can get a solution going and you can get something to happen that's practical and solves real world problems. Well, Bill Rosenblatt, thank you very much for a preview of the 2022 Copyright and Technology Conference coming to Fordham University School of Law on Tuesday, September 13th. Thank you so much. That's all for now. Our producer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. You can subscribe to the program wherever you go for podcasts, and please do follow us on Twitter and on Facebook. I'm Christopher Kinnealy. Thanks for joining me on Velocity of Content from CCC.